Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Signal from the Media Net, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and behind the scenes of the media in the UK and beyond from a Christian perspective. And I'm James Poulter, your host, joined as always by Sam Hales. Hello. And Ruth Jackson. Hello. No quirky nicknames this month. Uh, <laughs> nice to see you both. Um, it's been a quite a month in the, the world of uh, UK politics with the most recent news around the elections and the ongoing saga that is the Trump presidency and the, all that has gone on there with the recent sacking of James Comey and other work. So we're going to dive right into it this month with a discussion on that front. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, as you've seen over here in the UK, a lot of noise around this election mm-hmm. and particularly around manifestos. And I think manifestos are a really interesting thing for us to talk about at this point in a kind of world um, politics and particularly in kind of modern day media. To me, I don't know about you, I feel like the manifesto might be an antiquated way of doing, Mm. releasing whatever it is that you're going to say at an election, right? In the world of real-time news, you can do this every day. But anyway, leaks seem to happen. And obviously last week we had the incident with the Labour manifesto, or at least a version supposedly of the Labour manifesto being leaked in, in advance. Guys, what was your reaction to this when you saw it? You know, do you care about a manifesto? Well, so the first thing I would say before like what, what we would do with a leaked manifesto is I was listening to Radio 4 Today programme earlier this week and they were asking just normal people in a pub, A, whether they were going to vote. They were testing them on some of the policies to see whether they could tell whether it was Labour or Tory. Um, and they were asking how much a manifesto made a difference. And every single person was like, actually like we don't care at all because they are all going to go back on their words so it's really interesting that no one trusts whatever is in a manifesto wow. um but i also think what average person is going to read an entire manifesto yeah i think that's probably very true i mean I don't, did you read a manifesto the last time during the last election a couple of years ago do you remember reading them i have never read a manifesto and i would say that i'm above average in terms of my interest in politics actually you know i watch question time i check the bbc politics um news pages <laughs> i Listen, full disclosure to the listeners that Sam and I may be the biggest politic wonks that we know so just let's let that aside I don't know I'm not I'm not like um, 
I'm not like massively, massively into politics, but I am above average in my interest. And if I'm not reading a manifesto, then how would you expect you say sort of the the the, the the average interest in politics or the below average interest in politics person to read one? I just don't think. I mean, this is interesting. Is where the media comes in, of course, because I will find out what are in manifestos, but I won't find that out through reading them directly. I'll find out through mediated conversations about what's in them that political editors from various papers have written about or follow up interviews with Theresa May or you know maybe the the TV sort of leaders debates or whatever points will be mentioned so we're not going to the source material even I as a journalist in this case aren't necessarily going to the source material I'm hearing it from other people secondhand. well and that's interesting because people have purposefully picked out the stuff that either plays to their agenda or is particularly controversial so um, I, I'm exactly the same most of the most of what I read is through the lens of whatever media outlet I'm reading it through right. and actually you know obviously we know that as people that work in the media we know it comes through a filter and, and someone has editorially chosen to take that and not take that but the average public might well not know that there's that editorial process and might think that actually that's a totally fair representation of whatever the policy is I think it's fair to say that in you know particularly in UK politics at the moment there are these kind of hot button issues that every manifesto is going to hit up on mm. And actually, the differences between them are often not that mm. great. Um, between the parties, there's a lot of argument around that. But you know, everyone's going to talk about teaching. Everyone's going to talk about housing. Everyone's going to talk about the economy and obviously yeah. about Brexit. And so how easy, you know, what the, the point of having a manifesto, this list of things in which you are kind of going to pontificate about for the next couple of weeks until the, until we go to the polls. I just think it seems like a little bit of a kind of um, an old-fashioned way of approaching something that in the media circuits, particularly today, we just don't, we're not used to having to digest all of these things mm. simultaneously mm. and in actually all fairness we won't digest them all simultaneously anyway they will be played out day after day on different yeah. policy points for the next couple of weeks right but, but yeah but they are still held up as this document that will set out exactly what this party will do in government and i think thinking back to the gay marriage debates and when that was passed into law one of the criticisms was well this was never in your manifesto which i found to be an interesting criticism as if you know we do somehow expect that if you're going to do certainly in, you know whatever you think of it that was a major social change and major major legal change clearly there are people out there who feel that unless it is in your manifesto you shouldn't be doing it i mean i would counter that argument by saying i'm sure a lot of the people making that argument had never read the manifesto in the first place (laughs) and probably like me aren't interested in sitting down for 45 minutes an hour and reading every single sentence of a political party um even you know even if you do tend to vote for a political party most of the time i still think the average person isn't going to sit down and read that political party's manifesto we just don't we don't do that do we of course in this world you know this is a particularly interesting time, particularly with this election, because it's called uh, it's called on a snap election. Yeah, you know, we've kind of broken this idea of the fixed term parliament of five years, and so you know there is something about this idea of being able to somehow forecast it out five years of things that you're going to do when actually this election proves that you can you know pull the rug on everybody and then actually you don't need to take it for five years. It's two years or maybe even less. You know, or with the the case of uh, Donald Trump in the US at the moment with all that's kind of going on with this um, debate going on with the the firing of James Comey you know if you can impeach a president at any moment in time why bother about fighting what might be a four-year battle why not just forecast the very very short term so the other question I wanted to ask you guys and I think this is particularly interesting from a Christian perspective is how would you handle a leaked manifesto or maybe a leaked memo in the case of the, the Comey memos that are being discussed at the moment in the US that comes across your desk here at Premier or you know kind of another um, you know, outlet what do you do with it, Sam? Would would you would you feel the, <laughs> the the need to publish something like that, if, even if you know it's a draft? 
That's a really good question. And I've honestly never really given it too much thought. I would have thought the chances of a manifesto being given to me before any other journalist in the country <laughs> is pretty unlikely. But if I was in that position, I'm not sure if I would have any massive moral issues actually with publishing it. Because you'll know it, you know it's going to be out in 24 hours time anyway. Presumably you know it's all truthful. It is what it's going to say. So all you're doing is being first to the news, which actually as a journalist you need to do. Now clearly with other things where there's perhaps national security elements, then I wouldn't. Because I think actually there are some things the media we just can't go there and there are, there are genuine reasons to and and again we've seen just this week in america with you know cases of people being locked up for uh, putting stuff out that they shouldn't do so it does depend on what it is but with a manifesto that as we've just said a lot of people aren't going to read anyway mm. putting it out there a bit early i'm not sure if i have a problem with that mm. okay ruth what about you well i think there's two real issues at stake here isn't there there's the one side that sam's sort of touched on is that you know, actually the public kind of have a right to know if, if something, you know, particularly if it's like a negative thing that's been leaked, so all the stuff about Trump or whatever, actually the American public and the public as a whole kind of have a right to know that this is what their president has potentially been doing. But then there's also the flip side, which is that actually we should be getting our information in a correct way. We should be sticking to media law. We should be doing the ethical things. We should, you know, we shouldn't be doorstopping people who've just lost children and all of that. Like we should be getting information in the correct way so I think I think it is a balance and I think when it's more kind of big policy stuff because it's not involving individuals like dead children and things like that it feels a bit less of an issue from an ethical perspective but I, I, I guess it's in a lot of these things it's a circumstantial thing isn't it you kind of take it by the circumstance in each situation yeah and like you say if people aren't going to be that bothered about reading it anyway then why not publish it I think that's <laughs> fair <laughs> okay well that has uh, obviously been a major part of the, of the news in the past couple of weeks and as we head into this election season there's going to be plenty more to, to do around that and particularly for the journalists that are involved in this situation um, it's going to come up a time and time again now in the past couple of weeks and that's not the only major thing that's been happening but our very own Sam has spent mm. a, a significant or well, actually a significant trip but not a much time no. um, visiting <laughs> uh, the Holy Land and was in Israel a couple of weeks time um, ago Sam just want to tell us a little bit about what you were doing over in Israel and what the trip was about yes so the Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby um, spent 12 days in the Holy Land began in Jordan visited Israel and the Palestinian territories and I had the great pleasure of being able to follow him around for part of that trip particularly in Israel and the Palestinian territories seeing what he was seeing, meeting the people he was meeting. He was talking to both religious and political leaders on both sides of the conflict. He was very, very careful to listen to everyone, very careful not to um, be seen as supporting one side over mm -hmm. the other in a political sense. And there was one moment actually in the West Bank where he was meeting Palestinian Christians and they were saying, you know, look at this wall that Israel has constructed and it's divided our town in two and this is a great injustice and really you must do something about it, Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said very firmly, very politely, but he said, I am not the British government government and I think he had to temper expectations slightly mm. with some of the people he was meeting but what he did promise to do was say look where there are genuine injustices and he he was at pains to point out there are injustices on both sides of the conflict he says where he sees that he can speak and he was referring in particular actually to speaking in the House of Lords um, where he can challenge mm. the government where he can bring things up and obviously as Archbishop of Canterbury has a particular uh, interest in how Christians are doing and certainly Christians are suffering all over the, the Middle East so he seems quite keen to campaign on that where he can but he's also not going to be drawn into a, a political discussion and, and sort of say which side he supports because he genuinely doesn't think that's going to help mm. um, and I think he's he's absolutely spot on this is a conflict that has raged either for tens, hundreds or thousands of years depending on actually how you view it mm. we can't even agree how long the conflict's been going on let alone you know who's right and who's wrong so uh, you know he's saying as Archbishop 
he's going to try and stay out of the politics as much as is possible but he is going to be prayerfully supporting communities where he can he stopped to pray with a number of people on the trip as we went around so um yeah i was reporting on that for premier christian radio i'm um, also writing news stories as i went and there's a blog up on premierchristianity.com if you want to read more and one of the things that you actually um, wrote about was this uh, you know his his summing up i suppose of the situation with it's complicated mm. i mean obviously i think yeah as, as you mentioned in your piece you know the the strap line of that country is it's complicated yeah. in many ways because of the, the the ongoing conflict and there can be this um this sensitivity i suppose for those of us in the west and particularly those of us in you know kind of the uk where we're not necessarily kind of part of that conflict we don't necessarily have a stake in the game trying to speak into it trying to kind of make a point into it and i suppose that's also the pressure that's been lumped on on mm. justin Welby yes. as well yeah do you feel though that his response on that it's complicated and we can't make a difference is that somehow a cop out in some way should do you feel that he should have been making more i I think he certainly said it's complicated i'm not sure if he said we can't make a difference one of the most striking things was that he mentioned donald trump a couple of times in a surprisingly uh positive sense he said he talked about this um phrase he used was a moment of opportunity he said there could be a moment of opportunity coming and specifically linked that moment with trump who will be arriving in the middle east very soon and you know he talked about even used this language at one point of the stars aligning that almost all of these different things could be coming together and there could be an opportunity for a peace deal which i found very interesting theologically as from a christian point of view because i think a lot of christians would say look the reason this conflict is so irresolvable is because it's fundamentally a spiritual conflict and we need jesus the prince of peace to return and to bring peace i mean that is a a christian perspective that would be held by a number of, of christians certainly evangelicals and it seems that justin welby doesn't agree with that it seems welby's perspective is more that we are peacemakers here on earth we can make a real difference and we have to encourage peace wherever possible we have to encourage reconciliation and certainly a couple of projects he went to were very inspiring there was one in particular a football project in israel which actually the british embassy is supporting financially where jewish children and arab children in israel come together and play football and they're given education together in the same classrooms which i think is so important actually that you're um, being taught together you're learning together and then as a kind of reward for that they get to play football together two days a week and again jews and arabs on both on the same team playing football um was a wonderful reconciliation project that he visited and um justin Mulby even got involved in playing playing a bit of football made a couple of very important headers in a, in a nil nil draw ultimately it was uh, the lambeth team against a group of 10 uh, year olds and the 10 year olds held off lambeth's greatest team which um, was a funny moment i wonder but. if that's much of a challenge but yes absolutely <laughs> right uh, yeah uh, justin said while he was there that having come many times before that he kind of um knows less and less and uh, learns more and more mm. every time he comes mm. This isn't the first time that you visited no. either. So what did you take away this in this trip that yeah. may be different from previous times? Well, this was my fifth visit. And actually, I think it was probably Justin Welby's around his fifth visit as well. He's been a similar number of times to me. And I would agree, it does get more and more complicated. So I went to Hebron for the first time, which is a city in the West Bank. Most of the world would view that as Palestinian territory. But there is a small Jewish presence. And this gets complicated because it's, you know, Palestinian leaders have been quite clear that in a future Palestinian state, they would not let Jews in. Now, the truth is is in Israel proper there are Arabs living in Israel and of course there's lots of debates over how much rights do they have and does that need to be sorted out as well but but the point being there are currently 400 what are known as Jewish settlers or Israeli settlers who most of the world would say shouldn't be living there but are in Hebron and 1400 Israeli soldiers protecting this group of settlers but there's been problems because these Jewish settlers have been very violent towards the Palestinian population and so I was standing there thinking look why doesn't Israel just pull out 
out these 400 Jews because they, they pulled out their own people from other areas of Palestinian territory before. So I spent the morning quite confused. And then, of course, in the afternoon, we went on to the other side of the conflict in Hebron. And I realized that, of course, Sam, you fool, there is the tomb of the patriarchs here, the tomb of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their wives as well. So really one of the most important sites in all of Judaism. And so the Jewish argument is, look, we as Jews have lived here next to Abraham's tomb for thousands of years. We can't move on now. And interestingly, that tomb of the patriarchs is divided in two. So 80% of it, of this building, is a mosque and 20% of it is a synagogue. <laughs> and the two don't meet. They're on either side. And in the middle, both can look to look into the middle to see these tombs because both obviously Muslims and Jews consider these uh, very, very key figures um, as part of their religion. And then for 10 days a year, it's entirely Jewish. And for 10 days a year, it's entirely Islamic and only Muslims are allowed in. But most of the time they share it with this 80-20 arrangement. Wow. And you just think this is so complicated. It's in Palestinian territory, but you've got Jewish people living there. It's one building, but it's divided into the two can't cross. Um, and really the more people, I mean, I'm sure even just what I've explained, I've probably not mentioned a couple of nuances that people are now going to be writing in about. But it is just so complicated. And to be there and to stand there with all this security team around you yeah. just thinking this is so difficult how do we solve this it, it sounds like every church warden's last nightmare <laughs> trying to keep, uh, a schedule like that up and running yeah. but really interesting to kind of see kind of having to break your own kind of biases mm. and, and how we kind of view that kind of whole topic now in an area there that is obviously uh, rife with many different religions and different conflicts back closer to home um, Ruth you have this story that you mm. wanted to bring up around how actually here in the UK we may be heading in a more secular direction than ever before and hitting this idea of peak secular. Mm. I just want to tell us a little bit about the story that you uh, pulled out for us this month. Yeah, so this is off the back of the British Social Attitude Survey that basically says that we're at the lowest point of belief in the UK. Um, and that's all sorts of different beliefs. That's not just strictly Christianity. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that it said that um, a person who comes from a non-religious household um converting to Christianity so for every one person that does that 26 people go away from Christianity so that they've grown up in a Christian household and they go away there's 26 of those for every one which feels massive mm. um, and the interesting thing for me as a youth worker and writing for youth workers and children's workers is that a lot of those people are young people so a lot of the rise of the nuns they call them the no faith <laughs> a lot of that is among the young people which is really interesting yeah this idea of non-verts right yeah. so a person who's kind of yeah. brought up to practice religion but has you know now decided to disassociate themselves or mm. kind of unaffiliate themselves with the, the practice of it even though that that was something that they kind of were brought up in. Mm. You know, coming across these kind of non-verts, I think you know, this idea of peak secular does kind of play pretty well as a story if you want to kind of play that out. Mm. But yeah, it, it seems true but patchy in mm. my, my view. I think particularly here in London, again, this is one of those things where city bias, I think, probably is a, is a massive part of that. But you know, we hear these stories of kind of the church resurgence in different kind of pockets mm. of the UK and then at the same time, kind of faith uh, dying away and I just wonder whether or not again there's all this you know kind of um, coverage around this but we need to kind of again break through and find those opportunities to tell the stories of where actually faith is kind of coming alive um, in those different pockets of our cities yeah you know, how, how are you guys uh, reporting on that here and, and what's your kind of uh, take on whether or not you know, we actually need to get more of that back out into the, the popular press why, mm. why is that not showing up to a certain extent no one wants to hear those good news stories um, I think you know you can't argue with statistics but at the end of the day like statistics don't give the whole picture and I think there's a lot to be said for personal stories and I think I'm so often blown away when I 
help out on Alpha or when I work with young people, when I meet people in prisons. Just some people's stories are absolutely phenomenal. And for that one person and for their whole family, that's a remarkable change. And I, th- I think so often we tend to focus on the big picture, which is a good thing to do. But actually, I think we forget sometimes as well that it's that the one is really important. Um, but also, like, I think some of it is really hard to measure as well, isn't it? You know, some of the amazing stuff that's happen, happening in prisons and happening in schools, like actually the openness to people coming in and talking about God in schools has taken a huge kind of upturn compared to um, what it used to be. Like actually schools are a lot more open to have people come in and talk because it ticks off like the PHSC box, it ticks off the kind of well-being box. And actually they're quite open for churches to do that. And, and that sort of stuff never seems to get reported. Yeah. And just one point on the statistics, this survey that was released, we were going to run a blog on it, obvious thing for us to at Christianity get some analysis, because we're particularly intrigued by this idea in some parts of the media that the whole God delusion has kind of run its course. You had the rise of the new atheists, but is it possible now that all those people who, because of the God delusion, felt comfortable ticking atheists, you know, that's kind of happened now. And actually, we're seeing a bit of an upturn, isn't it? Good news. Mm. Well, the, the only problem with that, of course, is I spoke to a statistician who told me, well, actually, that's not what this research says in his view and he looked at the details and he had a very very different take and I guess just the wider point for me is I'm very aware of this as someone who works in journalism works with words and I'm not a mathematician I'm not great with statistics or numbers but there is a there is a temptation to try and simplify down incredibly complicated research for a good headline and I just think we have to sometimes be careful and in the end we didn't run a blog I mean this would have been the perfect story for us to write about but we just thought actually having spoken to this statistician and told him when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, look, take this angle on this statistics. He came back and quite rightly said, I can't take that angle on this research. Because although the research is good, the particular line that some media outlets have got out of it can't actually be backed up. So I just think that's a good sort of warning point. I mean, it makes my job harder, for sure. (laughs) But I think going back to what you're saying earlier about ethics, there is sometimes a duty to say, well, that might be tempting to sort of say the research says this. But if it doesn't, then we can't really run with that kind of headline, even if it's a good one. I think the demographic thing is quite interesting as well. So... Um, 
traditionally the kind of atheists or the nuns or whatever have been white middle class and they they do talk about the fact that actually white men are the kind of predominant people but actually interestingly the people who are now um, saying that they're atheists a lot of them don't have degrees and a lot of them are working class which I think is quite interesting because the I think the demographic there has changed and I think that's a really interesting thing a why has it changed and actually what is the church doing to reach those guys um, you know when you look at the rise of the new atheists and all of that I think traditionally that has affected the intellectual classes. And so you've seen amazingly intelligent apologists go up against those guys and stuff like that. But I think apologetics tends to focus on the intellectually elite. And actually, mm. what are we doing with apologetics, with all the resources we have to, to reach the working class and to reach the young people? Mm. And to, and to normalise that discussion yeah. as well, right? Yeah. In terms of, you know, kind of day-to-day -day, um, discussion. And I think that's where we need our journalists to be kind of uh, able to find other outlets either mm. that is through personal outlets like twitter and, and facebook or through other kind of means of getting those stories out there mm. because sam to your point absolutely it's sometimes it is difficult to find the stat that makes that worth writing about mm. or even that knowing that whether or not it's going to get the engagement that you guys need to write on these things that can often be a challenge and so for that reason i think uh well, this is about the smoothest segue as i can move <laughs> it to is that we, we need to pray for our media uh, thank you Smooth. and um, you're going to have the opportunity to do that and join with us over the next couple of weeks on the 28th of May this year um, we will be celebrating as part of the media net the day of prayer for the media and it's also the world communications day in the Catholic Church and we'll be praying for the media um, across that day and there's loads of ways for you to get involved if you want to find out more about how to do that you can go to themedianet.org slash pray for that's the number four media and find out what we're praying for. We're going to be looking at finding opportunities to celebrate empathy and truth and justice, some mm. of these kind of topics that we've been discussing here on the show over the past few months, and really pray for Christians working in the media, um, that they might shine and that God will um, have you know kind of presence um, within their, their outlets and where they're working. But also, I think this is a big part, is enhancing the respect and mutual understanding between mm. Christians and non-Christian media. And I think that that's it, touching on this, uh, this point and this story of how this stuff is being reported on. So we'll be praying for that. Um, you guys can get involved by praying. You can share with hashtag PrayForMedia uh, on Twitter, and we'd love to hear your stories. And there's a great film up on the website um, at themedianet.org uh, where you can go and watch about why we should pray for the media. Um, so what are we doing for that? Guys, do you ever, in your church, I tweeted this out this week mm -hmm. around, um, you know, kind of how, when was the last time you heard someone from the front of your church or, you know, a, a group or whatever praying for the media? Has that happened uh, for you recently? So I can't remember. Pete it Greg me. is absolutely <laughs> okay. amazing at doing that. When I when I was a youth worker at ECB, um, while I was working at the BBC, he used to gather kind of groups of industry. So it wasn't just for the media; he would do it for all different. And I went to the media one, and it was amazing. It was packed full of Christians yeah. working in the media, and he sort of went round and and asked everyone what it was they wanted prayer for, and and most of it was that people felt totally isolated. And I think, I mean, I worked in children's television for most of my career in the secular media, so for some reason that that's kind of safe within a Christian industry but I think you know if you were a journalist on the mail for instance I think actually your vicar's approach to you probably would be quite different than someone working at Blue Peter because um there's something you know there's that sense in which you're like oh I'm a journalist they're like oh are you a journalist okay and 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 
on one perspective they feel like they need to be careful what they say but then on the other perspective as well they're like oh well you must be you know fishing around for unhelpful things all the time and being untruthful and and there, there is kind of a stigma around journalism yeah that built-in bias that you're somehow after everybody is uh, a little bit difficult so I mean, which is true but you know <laughs> let's not call it out sam do you do you find your your kind of church leaders and organizations <laughs> what yeah when was the last time that someone stood up at the front and said let's all pray for our our journalists there or the media in general do you, i do can you that? never remember that ever happening and i've yeah. been in church all my life which is kind of sad isn't it but but then i don't want to make this old poor us who work in the media <laughs> no one prays for us because i i actually believe the problem is is wider than that and you know i've had this conversation with my churches before that often all the sermon illustrations all the things you're being told to do is basically be more involved in church or read your bible more or pray more and so little of the teaching is when you get into work at 9am mm. on a monday morning here's how you need to behave that kind of whole life discipleship mm. i just feel is so lacking and there are great organizations particularly the london institute for contemporary christianity who've been banging this drum for years and they do amazing work and it just frustrates me sometimes that that work doesn't always filter down to congregations and i think we still need to be reminding church leaders yes you work full-time for a church but remember most of the time you're speaking to do not have three hours to study the bible because Mm. they have a job to go to please encourage us and how we can live out our faith at work and please let's get beyond oh make sure you evangelize your colleagues because there's so much more to being a good christian um at work than just evangelism and i i just i kind of crave more teaching on that and more understanding of that in in preaching so i think that definitely includes the media i want to know how can i be the best journalist i can be from a christian perspective and i want the teaching at church and the prayer at church to help me in that because i'm at work more than i am at church doing church stuff and yes i'm active in church and i love serving but i want actually your your teaching to encourage me in my work outside of church as well i also think we're quite narrow-minded in how we think christians should be in the media we think that we should only be using it as an evangelistic platform and we should only be making christian stuff and only whatever and actually i think as christians whatever job we're in we're called to be the best at what we can be within that industry and actually if that means making a purely secular perspective but making it utterly beautiful and like so full of god in more subtle ways then that is just as valuable well there's a lot more valuable than a rubbish thing that happens to be about a christian subject and actually when i was working in children's television i felt like there was a lot of god in what i was making and how i was kind of educating children and helping them to see really important issues and none of what I did I could say was Christian um, but it felt like God was really shining in that it's the same for music and any of the creative industries actually I think there's a real way that people meet God through the aesthetic through beauty through making really good media Absolutely. And what, so if you're listening to this and you listen to the discussion, I'm sure there's not much there that you're going to disagree with, but that what you can do is help us spread the word. Mm. So what we would love for you to do is go and share the video that I mentioned on themedianet.org slash media. You can also sign up for the social media Thunderclap on the 28th of May, which will mean that loads of journalists, those working in content creation, PR, marketing, all of these kind of connected areas to the media industry will be sharing on that same day to get out and pray for the media. Mm. And obviously post up your prayers as well on the prayer wall, share them on Facebook and share them on Twitter. You can do that with us at the MediaNet on Twitter and also find us the MediaNet on Facebook. So just to round this out on this topic, I'm also going to now introduce our guest for this episode. It's James Abbott who works for uh, the Catholic uh, Church and he has been um, helping us just dissect a little bit about why it's so important to pray for the media from a Catholic perspective for World Communications Day, which we're also celebrating on the 28th of May. So here is James Abbott.
So, James, coming up on the 28th of May this year, we've got the World Communications Day, and it's also the National Day of Prayer for the Media. Just tell us a little bit about why uh, you, as part of the Catholic Church, are so excited about this and why it's become a, a real kind of point of the year to pray for the media around the world. Well, thanks, James. Yeah, I think it's definitely of, of paramount importance, really. Uh, now, now more than any other time, in many ways, with the uh, you know fake news and and the, the reliability of being of the news being something that's in question, and the fact that we're all content producers in many ways, whether we work for the media or not, um, and it's certainly something that the Catholic Church has long uh, wanted to do in terms of affirming and holding in prayer those that work in the industry, pretty much since Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council in the 60s, where uh, World Communications Day was kind of established in. 1967, a little bit afterwards, a few years afterwards, um, really for, for the very reason of, of understanding and recognising those challenges, really, of modern communication as it was called back then, as it is now, um, and just grounding it in prayer and, and offering it up, really. And I suppose this is something that we as, as Christians are trying to now engage with much more, the, the idea of praying for um, the media, but I suppose also just bringing them into our discussion in our churches. You know, I tweeted out this week asking people the last time that they heard their their um, vicar or their curate or their priest praying for the media, and we got not many responses <laughs> in the positive on that front. So, how can um, churches and and individual Christians of all denominations, be it Catholic or or anything else, engage with this idea um, around this day and and more generally? Well, I think it definitely is cross-denomination and you, you definitely identify a problem or, or something that, that needs to sort of pique the interest a bit more of all our clergy, of all our ministers, I think, no matter what your particular denomination or religion. Um, you know, the way we communicate is of vital importance, be it our own social media or, or more professionally through, through podcasting, through uh, traditional TV, radio, newspapers, um, it, it's absolutely vital. It's, it's no less vital now than it has ever been, really. And, and in fact, Pope Francis, who himself is a great communicator, I must say, um, in his message for this particular year, the Vatican issues a message every year, uh, makes the point that, you know, it's an industry these days that thinks that good news doesn't sell. And I think that is one thing that we need to sort of confront pretty much head on. Otherwise, we find ourselves either spinning or modifying or, or certainly not hiding you know sort of holding up that light of truth and justice that we should be doing as catholics and christians um so yeah i mean how do we make it more relevant more important i think we we, we really have to affirm people and show them that despite the editorial pressures despite the fast pace of, of life and and you know obviously reflected in the media we need to just be a little true to ourselves really Obviously, at this time, you, know, you kind of touched upon it there, this idea that trust and belief in the media is really at somewhat of an all-time low. I mean, if you look at particularly at what's happened in the US, um, you know, kind of very, very low levels of trust in, in the media because of these fake news issues and just a general, um, I suppose, apathy towards the, the media. How do you think, as Christians, we can engage with that issue? How should we be responding to that? I think by being there, being present, being unafraid. Um, one of the things that has changed a lot, I mean, if you consider that the president of the United States, and I'm not going to make any comment about my, my particular views on Donald Trump, but he is very much there. He knows how to use the media. He knows how to um, be outrageous and to grab attention in that way, certainly. And he seems to know how to get an awful lot of people on side, no matter whether you you know vehemently agree or disagree with his point. So I think being there, being present, present being relevant, yeah, not being afraid to raise your voice, actually. I mean, it's very much a Christian principle, isn't it, really? 
having the, the sort of courage of your convictions because sometimes our message can be unpopular. Um, but it's a vital one, and I think really it is a message for all. And as you were saying earlier, the fact that this is sort of cross-denominational in terms of the day of prayer, I think is marvellous. We, we totally embrace that because it has to be a team effort, I think, if we want to be more relevant. So with this day of prayer coming up uh, at the end of May, what's, what's one thing that, if you're a Christian and you want to engage with this issue, that you would love to see churches and Christians doing on the 28th of May for World Communications Day? quite simply just pray for media professionals pray for those that are working in the media pray for those that are using their social media for good that you know may not be professionally trained but feel that they they have a voice and a message to to give out and there are plenty of those people whether they're working to sort of you know promote life promote um, good stewardship of the environment you name it there's loads of people that you know you, you can have an audience these days and an absolutely massive one look at youtubers look at people that you know with, with little or no training have nonetheless found a way to connect so let's pray that people can connect in a good way in a good you know gospel way a, a way that really does promote the common good and, and brings us to a better place because you know i don't want it to sound cheesy or, or in fact unachievable but really when we do gather together in his name we really can achieve great things so that's what i would pray for personally okay well james abbott digital manager for the catholic bishops conference for england and Wales, thanks so much for joining us on this month's episode of signal my pleasure Thanks so much to James Abbott there for that discussion. And James will be coming back at the end of the show to pray for us in this month's episode of Below the Fold, our prayer and reflection for those working in the media. So stay tuned at the end of the show for that. Now, on to recommendations. We're not going to talk about how jealous I am that these two went to hmm. go and see John Mayer in concert a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it enough recently. <laughs> so Let's good. just move on. Um, but we will talk about a couple of things that we've been seeing going on. And I'm going to throw it over to uh, Sam, first of all, with his recommendation. I have Two. Is that allowed? Yeah, so let's keep it quick. I'll keep it quick. Paramore's new album. Um, if you're a proper Paramore Too fan, poppy. you may not like it because it's really poppy, but it's brilliant. No, I, I'm gonna unasha- unashamedly loving the lead single off it. You must have heard by now called Hard Times, but the rest of the album's very good. More poppy than me without a mic shield, usually. So <laughs> that that's good. That's good. I like that. Um, a slightly more serious recommendation for this purposes is uh, my colleague Justin Briley has just released his first book. It's called Unbelievable Why After 10 Years of Talking to Christians talking to atheists I'm still a Christian mm-hmm. and I had the great pleasure actually of, of um, reading some of this before it was published so I've read the whole book already and it's it's not even officially out yet but you can pre-order it uh, it's called Unbelievable by Justin Briley and what it does so well is explain why there are really good rational reasons for Christianity Justin really lays out the best case for Christianity why should you buy it well Justin has spent the last 10 years talking to the top mm-hmm. atheists and the top Christians so he's distilled the very very best arguments actually on both sides and explained what they are and said look having looked at all the evidence I'm confident my Christianity and you can be too so it's a fantastic read that will really equip you Unbelievable by Justin Bryan yeah definitely go check that out and also check out Justin's podcast Unbelievable as well mm. which is also a great kind of weekly look into uh, those types of topics Ruth uh, what about you what have you been uh, reading watching listening to this month so I haven't actually listened to this yet because it doesn't come out until I think this weekend but I was listening to Radio 4 this morning because I'm an old lady and um, <laughs> they were talking there was a <laughs> I'm sure many of those listening also listen to Radio 4 I love listen. Radio 4 I learn every 
everything from Radio 4. <laughs> um, but they were trailing a show called The Vote Now Show, which is Hugh Dennis and Steve Punt. And it's um, kind of a roundup of the election, but with comedians and journalists and quite like a satirical... I can't, I can't say that word now, satirical look. Yeah. Um, and actually, it looked like a really good way to learn about what's going on, but also be quite jovial with it. So I'm definitely going to be listening yeah, to that. Yeah, so this is the reprise of their series that they ran in for the Brexit yeah. debate as well. So The Vote Now Show is coming out. I think they're doing three episodes right, yeah. between now and election day on June the 8th. Yeah. Uh, so definitely go check that out. And staying with the audio tip and another podcast recommendation, we love podcasts. You're listening to this podcast, so you probably like podcasts too. So um, recommendation from for myself, go check out the new Relevant Podcast Network that the Relevant Magazine team over in the US have just released. There are two new shows that they've started doing. One, Sean Anequist's new show, um, the author of many uh, great books, um, uh, including recently uh, Present Over Perfect, which is a fantastic read. She's just started a new uh, weekly interview show uh, where she interviews uh, people that she loves uh, to kind of uh, talk about, get book recommendations from them and also uh, meal recommendations from them, which I think is a really lovely mix. Some great recipes you can go pick up there. And they've also released another show, which is a really interesting format, which is uh, hosted by Propaganda, the spoken word artist and rapper and also Mm. social activist and his wife Alma uh, called the Red Couch Podcast. And it's the two of them sitting down on their couch and just going through a number of things, including hood politics, amongst other things, and talking about their kind of recommendations for um, kind of just how you can kind of engage with topics like marriage, with politics, with uh, just life. So both of those really good listens I would highly recommend. Uh, Go checking those out from the relevant podcast network as well. So that's it for this show. Um, It's been a great time, but we will be rounding out uh, with our prayer from James Abbott for Below the Fold in just a moment's time. But for now, we'll leave you with James and it's for me to say thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Signal. Thanks from Ruth. Bye. Thanks from Sam. Farewell. And if you've got your feedback and want to get in touch, don't forget you can do that on Twitter at the Media Net or on Facebook. And go and check out the National Day of Prayer for the Media, and you can find out all the information you need for that on themedianet.org/slash pray for media. And now we'll leave you with our prayer for this month from James Abbott. Thanks for listening. We need to pray for the media and those working in the industry. Arguably, we need to pray for ourselves as consumers. In this era of fast-paced consumerism, we need to pray that media professionals refuse to sacrifice accuracy for speed, you know, the need to be first, and to carry the message rather than market it. Collectively, we need to be relentless in the search for truth and objectivity. We need God in this. He's bigger than us, the ultimate influencer. Lord, keep us steady. Stop us relentlessly career building and judging ourselves on followers, likes, the numbers in our networks. Help us see the truth and work for its promotion. Forgive us our human self-absorption. Keep at the forefront of our minds the need to understand and respect those we broadcast to and write for. And set us on a path to promote the common good and to help the poor and vulnerable in society. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Signal. And don't forget about the conference. If you want to get in on that early bird rate, then you can do that by just heading over to the Medianet website, themedianet.org. And if you want to get in touch with the show, you can always do that on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at The Medianet on Twitter, or go ahead and leave us a comment on the Facebook page. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can do us a favour too. It would be awesome if you could go onto iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a star rating and leave a review. It really helps the podcast get to more people, and we would love your feedback. 
Thanks again for joining us on Signal, and we'll see you again next month, where we'll go under the skin of the media, faith and journalism in the UK and beyond. I'm James Poulter. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 